All right. You may have a seat. We are in a series called Kingdom in the Chaos. And it is a series where we're going to walk through the books of Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Amen. And so we're talking about stories that happened 3,500 years ago. And yet they still have something for us today. They have something to teach us today. God was doing something in the past that it was for our example and to build up our faith. Amen. And so we just started this series, and we're in the book of Joshua. And last week I preached on Joshua 6, where the walls of Jericho came down. Amen? And God's people were able to rush in and take over the city of Jericho. And I, I reminded you that, you know, we all have a wall. We have walls in our faith and our journey, and we need to surrender to God. And sometimes... There's not going to be anybody with us in that journey. It's something that we have to do on our own. And there's a really real sense. Martin Luther said that there are two things that everyone has to do alone. Every single person will pass through death utterly alone. Nobody can do that with you. The moment you die is a Moment you will truly be alone. And the other thing is that he said that every single person needs to have their own faith in God alone. It can't be grandma's faith. It can't be your wife's faith. It can't be your husband's faith. <laughs> it's got to be yours. And so we looked at that passage, and what we're going to do today is a little different. I'm going to have to do some teaching, <laughs> but I promise that I wouldn't ever have you all come without a word to challenge and encourage you at the end. But there is some teaching that we have to do because we are wrestling with a very complex situation throughout Joshua. And this is the situation, right? I talked about it last week. What is the deal with God's people and violence. What is the deal with this whole idea of, you know, wipe out the Canaanites? <laughs> what is the deal with these stories of holy war? What is the deal with these stories of setting, you know, cities on fire and, 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 and just decimating the people within them? And so that's what I want to talk to you, okay? It's going to be a little more topical. We're going to stay in Joshua 6, but this theme of violence is going to come up again and again and again, and so I want to slow down, and I want to just focus on this and teach you a little bit about this so that when we move on, we can refer back to it, and it can help you. This is what's really important. For some of us, we're just like, Pastor, I just, I need that cup of cold water. I'm struggling. And that may be true, but here's the thing. There's going to be family members. There's going to be children. There's going to be people who have doubts and questions and struggles with the Bible. And this is one of the biggest things. This is one of the biggest stumbling blocks that people have. And so we could airbrush it. We could do the little, like, veggie tale version of the Bible story. Right? 
where it's just like vegetables that talk and they march around and the walls fall down and it's just like, yay, cartoon faith. But it's not what happened, right? And so we need to dig in and ask the hard questions because even if this isn't an issue for you, I guarantee you somebody in your life is struggling with this and this is something that will keep people from even checking out who Jesus is. You hear what I'm saying? And so we need to look into this. And the first thing we need to do when we think about holy violence is we need to think about the full context of what's going on. Somebody say context is king. Context is king. It really matters. If you were a Navy SEAL and you were going to do an operation in a part of the world that we didn't know much about, right? They would do all that they could to like learn the area before they dropped in the middle of that country, right? They would take like spy drone satellite footage. They would do all the intel that they could and they would drop them off trying to learn as much of the context as possible. But then when they landed on the ground, the Navy SEALs would still, right? would be super careful because they know that what they heard and what the reality on the scene is ain't the same thing. And so they would know that there's danger on the left and right. Context matters. Context matters. We've got to tread carefully. But we don't do this, do we? We rip things out of context all the time. And Christians do this, and people who are trying to ignore God and push him away do this. <laughs> we both are guilty. Christians are guilty of ripping things out of the Bible out of context, and people who have no faith in Jesus and are nowhere with Jesus do it all the time. I remember I saw a website, and it had Matthew 4, 9 on the top, on the banner above the church's logo and all that. And this is what it says, Matthew 4, 9. It says, all this I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. And this church was into prosperity theology, right? If you just worship God, make a pact with God, give to God, sow your seed, he's going to bless you. Listen, we don't believe in TikTok theology. We don't believe in the stuff that just gets shared around endlessly, right? Share this post and God will bless you. Please stop doing that, brothers and sisters. That's not what happens, <laughs> you know? That's not how it works, right? And, and so, so here's what the problem is. That verse is quoting Satan. <laughs> that, 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 that verse is when Jesus is sent by the Holy Spirit to the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And the devil, in one of his temptations, says to Jesus, just bow down and worship me, and I'll give you everything you want. You don't got to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to go through all that. Just tap out. Context is king. Context is king. I promise that you hear the Bible out of context all the time. <laughs> and we really try. Here, we really try to be careful with God's word. Do you hear me? 
We try to really honor God's word and to slow down. Because what happens is that sometimes for Christians, we want to pick a verse that sounds good like a fortune cookie and hold on to it. And that's all we care about is being encouraged. All we care about is a promise for me right now. And we take the scriptures and we just, you know what I mean? So then we don't know what to do with texts like this. What do we do with a text where it's like, you know, Jericho's, you know, Joshua's leading this, this military campaign throughout the land of Canaan. But like a Navy SEAL, we got to assess the situation. we got to come with humility to realize that we don't know what we don't know. Right? St. Augustine said once that the Bible is an ocean. And what he meant was, he said, the Bible's an ocean. It has beaches that are safe enough for children to play. Now think about that. The ocean has safe beaches where little infants can sit in the sand, right? And the little waves come up and tickle their toes. But the ocean is also deep enough for elephants to swim. <laughs> in fact, <laughs> in fact, Mariana's Trench, right? You could fit all of Mount Everest in it, and you'd still have a mile and a half to go deeper than that. <laughs> so God's word, you can understand what's important for it. You don't need a degree to understand God's word, to understand that, that you're a sinner, that you need salvation, that Jesus died for you. You don't need to, to, to know much to know that Jesus loves you, and this I know for the Bible tells me so, amen? That's like, that's like what, it, what, what St. Augustine is saying is like, you don't need some fancy training to understand what's most important. The Word of God is safe. We can just hand it out in the neighborhood, right? You know what I mean? We, 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 it, we know that there's a power in folks reading the Word of God and folks hearing God's Word, Amen? But at the same time, it's, 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 it's so deep <laughs> that we can't presume to understand all of it. There's just going to be stuff that we don't know. <laughs> and it's also saying, this depth is also saying that God has a purpose for trained ministers. He does. Listen, we believe in the Holy Spirit. A lot of times, spirit-filled Christians sometimes are also the churches where there's like a total, like totally look down on training, totally look down on careful teaching of God's Word, totally look down on learning Greek and learning Hebrew and learning how to rightly divide the Word of truth. But we believe in both. We got to be grounded in his holy word. But we also want to be filled with the Holy Ghost and his power to love people around us that are struggling. We are handed something absolutely precious. Amen. And that's why we have done things like, you know, you get a young guy like Dylan, a lot of fire, a lot of passion. What did we do with him? Well, you are going to sit and learn for five years. 
just how to lead people, how to teach people, how to preach. And then you're going to go to seminary. And then when you're done seminary, you're going to sit around. You're not done yet. You're going to sit around a room with 12 pastors. And you're going to write a paper on a particular passage in Greek and tell us all the details about that passage. And then we're going to read your 50-page paper on all of your theology. And you better have an answer for what you believe and why you believe this or that and how it's grounded in the Word of God. It's not easy. Your life will be examined. Your marriage will be examined. Your money will be examined. But yes, you're understanding the Word of God. And can you tell me what Matthew is? Do you know the structure? Can you tell me what every chapter in Exodus is about? Can you tell me what all the books of the Bible are about? Do you believe the Word of God? We believe in training ministers. That's not to say that all of us don't have a spot to preach. That's not to say that all of us don't have a spot to prophesy. That's not to say that all of us don't have a spot to evangelize. We do. You don't have to wait until you master the word of God to obey him. <laughs> but you just aren't going to be a pastor. <laughs> James 3, 1 to 12 the brother of Jesus, he says, not many of you should become teachers because we know we, those who teach will be judged more strictly. All right? And so we want to get into this question. And I want to look at this question of the, what we read last week, this, this where we saw um, God's people rushing to Jericho and then it says that they killed all in the city. When we read this thing, and when we think about it in terms of what we've seen on TV, maybe we saw the VeggieTales thing, right? And we put two and two together. What do we think? We think a massive city full of people just getting killed. When we look at the context, what do we see? We see... In Joshua chapter 6, 2 to 5, what, is, what does God say? The Lord said to Joshua, look, I have handed Jericho, its king, and its best soldiers to you. March around the city with all the men of war, circling the city one time. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry seven ram's horn trumpets in front of the ark. But on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the, the trumpets. And when there is a prolonged blast on the horn, you will hear it sound. Have all the troops give a mighty shout, then the city will collapse and the troops will advance and each man straight ahead. But what do they do? They do all that exactly as God commanded. And then we see in verse 24, they burned the city and everything in it, but they put the silver and the gold and the articles of bronze into the, uh, and the iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. I'm sorry. Um, verse 21, they completely destroyed everything in the city with the sword, every man and woman, both young and old, eating every ox, sheep, and donkey. 
So what is going on? We need the greater context, amen? Somebody say context. The original call from God that he gave to Moses, right, the, 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 the spiritual father of Joshua, the one whom Joshua is copying his pattern, all that stuff. We see it in Exodus 33, 2. Moses is hearing from God what they are going to do when they get into the promised land. And he says, I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites. That's what he said. I will send an angel before you. Now we know that there was the commander of the Lord's army <laughs> that Joshua had just met with, right? We learned about that a couple weeks ago. And he leaves the, the whole crowd of his army and he meets with this heavenly being and he knows that it is God himself that fights for them, right? And so God sends his messenger and of course we know that the walls of Jericho fall in a supernatural way and God is fighting for Israel. But when we look at this, all these passages, this is the main theme. We see that there's a call to drive out the Canaanites and all the, those, those Canaanite cousins, all those people groups that were related to the Canaanites. And you find this expression 10 times in the Bible. You find it 10 times. And it's used in only two ways. The first way is God himself miraculously driving out the Canaanites. Like God is doing it. He's promising he will do it. Or it's a description of he has done it. And then the other description, right, is only ever when it talks about Joshua talks about the Israelites. All of those descriptions are about how they fail to drive out the Canaanites. <laughs> right? Are you, are, are you following with me? There's going to be a lot of little points of information, so try. <laughs> and, and it's used in these two ways. And, and we can't understand what's going on here without no idea of the bigger context, the bigger story of the scriptures. All right? So this story goes all the way back. Now the Canaanites, they are not descendants of Cain physically. They are descendants of Ham's son, Canaan. But they are spiritual. The reason that the name is similar. <laughs> there's a reason that there's all these illustrations. Because if you remember way back in Genesis, Adam and Eve, they have Cain and Abel. And the very first murder in the Bible, right, is... Cain murdering Abel. And so what you have here is a story that goes deep into the word of God that there would be these people groups that are related. They're cousins. They're related to each other. But they're at war with each other. They're at war. And there's two ways of life. And one of them is self-worship. And the other one is the worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And, and then you have the Canaanites, who is the offspring of Ham. And if you remember the story of Ham and Noah, this is where it gets really weird. And the, and the Bible is just not PG at all, right? This is where Ham comes in the tent and looks at his father naked. And in English, that's just like, okay, you know, that's weird, but no big deal. But that's not what it's saying in the Hebrew, 
Like he's looking up his father up and down with lust. And some of us here, right, we know about crazy brokenness sexually in our families. You know, molestation, incest. Um, it's here. It ain't something from 30,000 years ago. It's here. It's stuff that we want to talk about, but it's stuff that happens. And it became defining for this whole family lineage. So we know about inbred, ratchet, deep brokenness, right? And Canaan is not the physical descendants of Cain, but definitely the spiritual, the embodiment of the enemy of God's people. And this is really important. This whole book is about this. And you got to have all this in your head. Um, this is a story of a war of cousins that have chosen to go two very different directions. Worshipping themselves and the other worshipping God. Me and my wife, we lived in Rwanda for five years. And in 1994, there was a genocide. And there were places that we visited. There were churches where there was skulls put on the pews and bones everywhere. Because what happened was is that when there was this war breaking out, priests would let people come in the churches, but then they'd lock them in the churches and burn the people alive. There was this one spot that we were at that had 100,000 bodies buried in the same spot, a mass grave. About a million people were killed in 100 days, and this is in a, a country about the size of Maryland with like 6 million people in it. And so I don't care what kind of neighborhood or what kind of background you come from. Ain't none of us can say we've experienced nothing like that. That one out of six of every single person we know we watched or we were a part of killing. This, this has traumatized the whole nation, right? This was only like 25 years ago at this point. And when we were there, it was approaching 20 years. And what they would do, this is very real for us. This is why this problem needs to be addressed. This is why this problem needs to be looked at. What they would do is people were in the churches and they were hearing, oh, prophecy, your enemy is coming. We need to wipe them out or they'll wipe us out. And there was this fear, right? And every single day on the radio, they would hear orders to kill their neighbors. That if they didn't, they themselves would be killed. And there was a demonic spirit of fear that just seized the entire nation. And people were slaughtering each other. And the number one thing that they would call the, their enemies, right, was cockroaches. 
cockroaches that needed to be exterminated. They were the other. They were subhuman. And in that mindset, there was 100 days of slaughter. What is going on here in Joshua? I need this to be really crystal clear to you. Not that. <laughs> Not that. And here's a bunch of reasons why, okay? Um, first of all, like we're, we're getting to just the city of Jericho, right? What did they do? They marched around the city seven times and then they rushed in. Okay, you're not, rock, you're not gonna march around all of Gloucester, this tiny little town, and then rush in and kill everybody in a day. We know from archeology span and from history, a bunch, and Jericho was barely inhabited in this time. And this is another thing that's really important. Every time the, the Hebrew word for city is used, it's used for a fort. It's used for a fort. And this is kind of amazing, like, that there's a story that Jesus tells uh, um, that talks about Jericho. Do you know that story? It's a parable. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Right? And, and they're on the road to Jericho, <laughs> and the dude gets beat up. And then somebody comes, a good Samaritan comes and puts the guy on his horse. And where do they go? They go to Jericho. And what do they do in Jericho? They give him to the innkeeper, right? And so you start to see this, like, all these wild connections. Like, why is Rahab in this town? What is this city? Well, in this time period, you'd have these places that were strongholds. They were cities. And they were the places that you traded grain. Almost everybody lived out in their farms. But you would come and do worship, and you would come and do business in these fortified cities. But when you think of city, we think of city, we think like Philadelphia, <laughs> all this stuff, but that's not what you can think of. The, these are small little outposts with, you know, heavily fortified, and you'd come in, you'd do your business, and you'd go. And they had known that the God's people were coming. And they had heard the stories of how God supernaturally fought for his people. To the point where Rahab and her whole family converted and were saved. And when you read Joshua 6, you hear about their whole family. And all the verses about the destruction of Jericho. And all the verses about Rahab and her family getting saved are about the same. The focus is here is that God's people are coming. He's giving them this region. There's this fortified area that controls the whole area. And God has handed it over. He's handed it over to the Israelites. And they had to make a decision. And so you got to let go of this VeggieTales picture. <laughs> of this, like, New York City... <laughs> You know, walls up to heaven. <laughs> and this ain't even a medieval castle. Do you remember when we read about Rahab? Do you remember in verse two, you, uh, chapter 2, you remember how they climbed up the roof? And what did they say? They slept and they hid in the grass. That ain't a castle. <laughs> okay, this is a different picture. You've got to unlearn some stuff. Context is king. Okay? The point is, is that God himself 
broke down this wall and they needed to get into this place to control the trade and everything in that little region. And he, in fact, did send his angel as he promised in Exodus 33, right? He did, just like he told Moses, he told him he's going to fight. He did send his angel. The commander of the Lord's army came. The, the walls came down supernaturally. But there's another point of context, right? We can read letters that were written 13, uh, sorry, 3,300 years ago when this happened, right? We can read letters from like Jerusalem when Jerusalem wasn't, wasn't a Hebrew city. And we can read letters from Egypt. And, and what do we see? We see there's war. And we see all these letters that are out. They're not the Bible, right? But we just see, okay, we're going to send reinforcements. All right, we're going to send to the city of Jericho 50 people. We're going to send 100 people. We're going to send 75 people. And this may be bursting your bubble because maybe you imagined it being so much bigger. <laughs> right? But this is just what we know from history. This is just what we know from a careful study of God's word. That this is not what, it's not what we always imagine sometimes. And at the same time, what we've found so much archaeological evidence that connects Jesus and so many things to history. We just have never found super massive to the heaven walls, right? <laughs> Actually, where Jericho is, is the lowest place on earth. You can look it up. It's, it's really interesting. It's the lowest place. It's below sea level. And um, it's also, I've shared this before, it's like the oldest city, <laughs> That we know about. It's the oldest place where people move from being farmers and, want, you know, just being sprawled out to actually building up a city. And so this battle is ultimately a spiritual battle with physical consequences. It's a battle between cousins, not a battle between people and cockroaches, not an extermination. It's a battle to cleanse the land, to gain power. It's a battle in forts, and it's about driving people out, right? That's the most common expression. Drive them out. Drive them out. But here's the thing that I know is going to be hard for you, but it's just all over the scriptures. They didn't do it. <laughs> like there are so many verses where it's like, wipe them out. And then you'll see these hyperbolic expressions. You know what hyperbolic means? Remember when Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, what did he say? Cut it out. If your right hand causes you to sin. And yet... Jesus was not asking for his followers to walk around maimed. <laughs> but he's using a type of language. It's the kind of language when, you know, different countries are, 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 are against each other in the World Cup. It's the kind of language when we have the Super Bowl. We devastated them. We demolished them. Kansas City wrecked us. <laughs> and the way we know this is because you can see it in text after text after text. I'm going to post in Slack the comparisons. Literally, there's like a verse, and then the very next verse, it's like we utterly wipe them out. And then the very next verse is like, here's the rules for trading with the people that are left. <laughs> Don't intermarry with them. 
Do you understand what I'm saying? This, these expressions, and even the expression of woman, man to woman, right? Uh, oxen, all this stuff. This is a common Hebrew expression that's saying everything and everybody that's there. Now, if you are in this fortified area, don't get me wrong, stuff happened. Lives were lost. But this just ain't genocide. Okay. Then there's also this spiritual battle, which is the absolute focus with physical consequences. And what is happening here is a destruction of a system. When, um, when God's people went off to Egypt, and he, he, he promised Abraham, right, that this would be a promised land, your people would be here. And he, and, he, and, he, and he prophesied, listen, the sin of the Amorites, right, the sin of these people need to reach its full. What's happening in these little cities that God specifically called his people to destroy? And then most importantly, to, to have no one grab any of the stuff because it was devoted to false gods. And that's the next chapter, right? They go to another city and somebody takes some stuff and <laughs> hides it under their bed and God judges all the people for it. This is really important. It's really important you understand that these, these whole stories are about God driving out the cousins that have went a different way and yet these relatives all could be saved. <laughs> They all could turn to Yahweh. But here's this other thing that's really important. This is an utterly unique time in history where God is promising to build this place, this kingdom that's physical, that would represent a spiritual kingdom. It's supposed to be a purified place where there's theocratic rule. It's not a democracy. God works with people where they can understand, when they can understand. He said, Moses allowed, Jesus said this once, he said, Moses allowed for divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. There's all kinds of stuff that God allows for. There's all kinds of stuff that are, that's recorded in the scripture that don't mean God co-signs it, right? Like, like there's all these laws about like, if, if, you know, if you have um, slaves, you do this. But then also, God's word says to kidnap someone is a capital crime. <laughs> and then also, you know, there's this like, hey, listen, you got to let them free in seven years. So, so what, what's going on? Is God co-signing that? No, God's trying to regulate people where they're at in that time of history. We don't get this, but people were savage. This is all that anybody knew. If you had one place and two different groups of people, there's, what's going to happen is going to be war, right? That's what's going to happen. That's the only option. It's the only outcome. And God is working through the weakness and frailty of mankind to display an image of things that are going to come later. We ain't at, there is no male and female Greek <laughs> and Hebrew. Like, we're not in the New Testament yet. <laughs> there is a progress in the way that God reveals his redemption to the world. And we need to understand this context. 
But God's will for humanity didn't come all at once. And thank God, it still doesn't come all at once. Like, this is something we need to thank God for, because we'd all be toast. Like, you do stuff that you shouldn't do. And if it was, if it was on some, here's, like, you should reflect what God wants in your life right now, none of us are making it. And that was true over 3,000 years ago, and it's true today. And finally, we need, to, we need to accept, if we trust God's word, that violence definitely happened. And there are times that violence is still called for, right? God hasn't called for you to be extinct. <laughs> if somebody comes after your children, right? I, I remember uh, one of the first people that we baptized, she, she told me she caught a dude in the middle of like less than a kid. And she beat the dude up. And I said, I, 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 think, I think you'll be all right, sister. <laughs> it's going to be all right. There are times when it would be a sin to just let stuff happen. You hear what I'm saying? There just is. I will protect my wife and my children. But here's another piece of context. We don't believe death is the end. So when we hear that 44,000 people died in Turkey from an earthquake, we have a different relationship to death and life, and even our own death. Because death is not just a tragedy and an end, but a relocation of our souls. God is the one who breathed life into us, and God is the one who has all the right and permission to snuff it out. But he doesn't snuff it out if we trust in Jesus. Though we die, we shall live. And I need you to know that there are things worse than death. There are things worse than death. There are things worse than facing death. And it's true that God's way of working with us, he's patient and he demands holiness from us. But it's also true that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. <laughs> so we have this false idea that Jesus is this hippie, right? He's drinking wine with sinners, but the OGOT God is smiting folks left and right. <laughs> but we have the blinders on because nobody talks about judgment more than Jesus. And the way he talks about it is so final and so scary and so ultimate that it makes all these stories feel like fluff. He's the one who says it's better. He's, he's the one who warned, is it better for you to gain the whole world but then lose your soul? He, he's the one who says that those who do not repent, they will go to the place where the worm that feeds on their body will never die. He's the one who says that those who reject me will face unquenchable fire. He's the one who talked about eternal darkness. He's the one that talked about the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. 
Yes, he said, turn the other cheek. And he said, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And I've said this so many times, though. The Old Testament is like the old radio that's like wind up in the garage of your uncle (laughs) that doesn't work all the time and only gets AM. And the New Testament is like the ultra-high def, big 150-inch screen TV, right? It's the same message, but it's just more clear. It's the same character, the same God. His mercy is severe. His wrath is severe. His love is real. But so is his hatred. He hates sin. He is holy. When, when, when I think about this earthquake, there was this tower of Siloam that fell, and 18 people died, and they came to Jesus, and they said, were these people worse than anybody else? Why did they die? And they're asking the age-old question, why does bad things happen to innocent people? And Jesus' response was, repent and believe or something worse will happen to you. Because from Jesus' point of view, nothing bad happens to good people. We all deserve what we get. We deserve every bit of it. That's just the word of God. That's not me. And yet he's opened the door. He's opened the door, right? So violence is not outside of God's plan, but here's the radical difference. Violence comes upon Jesus instead of from Jesus for those who repent and believe. Do you hear what I'm saying? Violence comes on to Jesus himself. He is the one inside the fortified city who won't leave. He is the one who gets driven out of the promised land. He's the one who goes outside the camp, up on the hill, hanging on Calvary. He's the one who was cast out into the darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. He's the one who tasted death and hell for you and I for every single thing that we ever did that we don't want to tell anybody about. Violence is still part of God's plan, but when we repent and put our faith in Jesus, the violence comes on him and not from him. So you've got to get out of Jericho. Because <laughs> this is real. God don't play. God didn't play in the Old Testament, and God don't play now. Right? And it's not just, oh, you don't want to be lonely. You, don't want, you want to be healed. You, you want to have purpose. You want to have your best life now. You want to learn to be a better dad, a mom. And like, God, God, like, we want all that. Like, we're for all that. All that's true. But the bigger truth is that we will be destroyed if we stay where we are at in our sin and don't repent. I just pray that you hear what I'm saying. And if there's someone here that would like to turn away, that they would do that. I shared a while ago about Hopeful and Christian. Man, Hopeful's like the patron saint. I want to follow. I want to be like Hopeful. He's there in the river with Christian. Christian's losing his faith. And Hopeful is just constantly encouraging him to the end. 
But before that, Christian's in this city of destruction, and there's another character named Evangelist, and he comes in to the city of destruction. He tells him to get out. It's about to all burn. It's about to all come down. And I'm just saying this. I pray you would hear me. You need to get out so that you're not stuck in the place of destruction. You can be like Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute. It ain't about you having a good life. It ain't about you knowing how to talk. It ain't about uh, like your little pedigree, how your family is. It ain't about your church record. You can get out. You can be saved. You can follow the God of Israel and be saved but you got to do it you got to put one foot in front of the other you got to repent of your sins and believe in Jesus father God thank you for your word Lord help us to understand what it is that happened so long ago how you displaced these fort these forts of trade and pagan worship where, where the Canaanites would offer their children onto idols that were burning hot, that they had to play the drums loud enough so that the mothers wouldn't hear it, where there was godless sacrifice, where there was self-worship, where there was incest, where there was all kinds of stuff, and your judgment did come down on them. But help us to understand it in the balance of what happened Help us to interpret your word carefully. Help us to remember all these passages where so many lived <laughs> and many became followers of you. And I just want to thank you, God, that we live when we do now after Jesus. I thank you we don't live 3,500 years ago. I thank you, Jesus, that we are not dim listening for a dim radio signal on the AM to hear your will, but you have made it abundantly clear. You've made your love super clear. You've made your wrath super clear. You've made the way out super clear. And I just want to thank you for that. Amen. Amen. As we sing this last song, if anybody would like prayer. I would love to pray for you. Just come on up. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the, beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not feel evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You, you, you anoint my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy.